Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So it's Father's Day. It is one of the the best privileges that I have uh, to parent four wonderful children. I still ask the Lord uh, sometimes when I'm praying for them, like, wow, you really trusted me with four kids. Like, this is pretty, pretty amazing. But, uh, you know, it's awesome to know that my four children, they know Jesus. Uh, They're growing up so, so quickly and just trying to discover, you know, what the Lord wants them to do in life. And just leading up to Father's Day, you know, I think about the times of We'd turn the entire uh, family room into, you know, a wrestling rink or playing with dollhouses with Isabella, train sets, the, you know, pretend little kitchen sets. And those things are so quickly transitioning, you know, into where to find a summer job, how to handle money. Uh, You know, the the conversations around the dinner table used to be, what was the letter of the day? And they would say the letter of the day. And then, you know, we'd try to find as many words as we could that began with that letter. And now we're talking about Again, financial things, relationships, and just things that are so complex. Sometimes, uh, you know, you just feel inadequate uh, as a parent. But it is. It, it, it's a blessing from God, uh, whether you're an earthly, uh, you know, a natural parent or whether you just simply influence. If you're a man that just influences other young boys, it is one of the greatest privileges uh, on the face of this earth to do. Now, I would say uh, one of the areas of fatherhood that I do struggle with the most is those moments of perceived failure. So I'm just going to be like real here. I could take like a hundred really fun moments and great, awesome moments that I've had with my kids. And the enemy will try to bring up like one mistake I made, one time when I raised my voice, one time when I lost my temper, one time when I gave bad advice, whatever it is. And the more I talk to men, the more I talk to fathers and have conversations, is that that's an, a real issue uh, in life, is that we can be doing our absolute best, but then the enemy will take a mistake here or a failure here, and he'll bring those things back up, and that can actually destroy the soul of a man. So we can, instead of walking in the Lord and walking in the victories he's given us and doing what we know to do, is the enemy could just begin to whisper those things that we live out a frustrated life and we actually feel like we're failures instead of men of God, child of God, sons of God who are walking, who mess up every once in a while, who the Holy Spirit wants to pick back up and take to be victorious in life. Does this make sense? So what happens is, and this doesn't just apply to fathers, it doesn't just apply to men, I believe it can apply to women, mothers, you don't don't have to have children to, to do this, but if we allow the enemy... Uh, to continue to, to replay the mistakes and the failures that we've made in our head, it causes frustration, it causes anxiety, it causes fear. And what happens is then we begin to project those things onto those we love because we're walking in a constant state of feeling like a failure. Does this make sense? Probably to most, most people in the room, if this has been an issue in life. So what can happen is actually the opposite too. Not only can we walk in that and project it onto people that we love, is that the enemy can actually use that for those who were raising up to then look at us in a different way also. So I'm going to ask Isabella, my daughter, to come up, uh, Jim Twigger, who actually spoke earlier. He's going to play the role of God today. <laughs> Isabella's going to play my daughter today. I get to be daddy. All right, you guys can just come on right up here on this stage. So this is what I've learned uh, in just... Studying of inner healing, uh, deliverance, and, and the way that life works. You can stand right here. 
is what happens is uh, oftentimes, this is the majority of the time that I've seen, and Jim, you could step right here, is that as earthly fathers are raising their natural born children or people that they're raising up, so you can face me now, as we're interacting, your child or a young one who you're influencing will look through the life, the attitude, the words, and the actions of earthly dad as lenses of how they form the image of their heavenly father. So what happens is if I am a good, supportive father, say yes, say yes. yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> if I'm a loving, supporting father who spends time with my daughter, who tries to work situations out and so on, that includes discipline and so on. I thought, I, it includes fun times. I thought about tickling her in front of 300 people, but I don't want to embarrass her. <laughs> so if there's a healthy relationship, then as she looks what seems to be just yesterday from this height all the way up to being grown. As she looks at my life, I represent God to her. I'm the male role model and figure that she gets because she knows me before she knows God. So she's saying, okay, this man who's kind of like in charge of my life, he is loving, comforting, compassionate. He's present. He's with me. All these things. So when you're now you're hearing about another one who is depicted as a male in the Bible called God, eventually called Father, she starts figuring, oh, he must look like him. So now the reverse happens. If I'm a father who demeans and says, you're not worth anything, you're never going to make it in this world, you're worthless, da-da-da, if I'm abusive physically, emotionally, mentally, or if I'm not there, so you can, you can like look for me or all around. So if she's looking for me because I'm, because I'm absent, then what happens is what she has seen in my life also gets painted on the image of God. So God must be abusive, impatient, mean, never satisfied with me, thinks I'm a loser. And the, the child's identity can tank because of that. If the father is completely absent and the kid's looking for the father, then she or he might also think that God the father is absent. Now that is a reality, but I also want to take the weight off of all of the fathers and say that doesn't have to be if we teach people to look at God the Father as who he is in God's word alone. And I'll unpack that in just a minute. Thank you guys. Why don't you clap for Isabella and Jim. So what I wanna do, I wanna give you two opportunities uh, today to take two steps of faith here down at the altar at the end of the message. I'll share those in just a minute. I just wanna talk about the altar just for a moment uh, with you. The altar is the, t is the space that we call, you know, uh, right here in front of the stage. Obviously, the Lord can move out in the pews. The Lord can move in your bedroom. The Lord can move in your kitchen. But there's a space called an altar in a church that we ask people to come forward in times and space to take steps of faith. In the Bible, the altar was a raised structure where people would bring offerings, gifts, or sacrifices to the Lord. It wasn't a place of guilt and condemnation. It wasn't a place where if they were making their way to the temple, they weren't thinking, oh my goodness, everybody's gonna look at me and everybody's gonna think my life is a mess. No, it was a privilege to be able to take an offering, a gift. Sometimes it was incense that would be placed on this raised space. Sometimes it was an animal to be sacrificed. 
Whatever it was, it was an offering of something of yourself to God for the, the placement of either worship or forgiveness of sins. So what happens is there's an exchange happening. We're bringing something of ourselves to God in exchange for something from him. So if we're worshiping him, if we're making a sacrifice to him, we can know and walk away knowing we have more joy, more freedom, or more forgiveness than when we first came. So it should be a place where we say, God, I am taking a step of faith. It doesn't matter how you feel leaving the space. I can guarantee you not every person that burnt the incense or that offered the animal felt all warm and fuzzy when they were leaving the temple in those days, but it's an act of faith saying, I'm giving myself to you. In Romans 12, starting at verse one, it says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And it says that it's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So coming forward during worship, coming forward for prayer, coming forward at the end of a service is saying, God, I'm once again, not just reminding you, but reminding myself that I'm giving you my body as a living sacrifice. It's my form of worship, exchanging something from my life that I can receive something from you. So at the end of the service, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to take that step of faith toward the altar for two reasons. Number one is to formally relieve your earthly father, whether he has passed away already, whether he was in your life or whether he is still on this earth, to formally relieve him of the weight of being the lens in which you see God. I believe it is an act of faith that will free you up from any judgment that you're holding on to your father. I'm not, uh, don't get me wrong. Fathers are an extremely important role in your life. There are men of God that are leading their sons and daughters that what happens is they're great fathers. I'm not trying to demean fathers in any way in this message. There are still great fathers that the devil will try to use one little mistake, one little error, and try to distort the image of the heavenly father through that. So what we're doing today is my father passed away several years ago. But what I'm going to do today is in an act of faith, relieve him from any weight or responsibility that I'm still putting on his life for how, the lens of how I see God the Father. Because I want to see God the Father in how the word says he is. You guys with me? So it doesn't mean you have a bad father if you walk forward to do this. It doesn't mean that you're holding on to unforgiveness, but there might be something that you are holding on to. There might be a criticism, a judgment. There might be a riff in your relationship that you have no way to reconcile if he did pass away. But if he is still here on the face of the Thursday, and even if you have a good relationship, I can guarantee that something is going to shift in the spiritual realm. You say, Father, Heavenly Father, I am hereby. I'm taking the weight off of my father. He has no more responsibility of being the lens in which I see you. He still has a responsibility of being your father. Yes, and it's a great responsibility. But earthly fathers should not have to be the lenses in which we see God. The word of God should be that. You guys with me? So the second, the first one B is to relieve your earthly father from being the lens in which you see God. The second is to receive your heavenly father as the perfect standard of fatherhood. So we look at God's word, we look at how he acts, how he interacts with his people, especially in the New Testament, 
right? Because in the Old Testament, we could see how he's interacting. Was he angry here? Is he there? Unless you're understanding the covenants of how he's interacting with people, take the life of Jesus, his interactions with the Father and the Father's interactions with us, and let that be the perfect standard of fatherhood. So who is this father? Like I mentioned before, there are over 950 names throughout scripture of names and titles attributed to God, either God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. These names are filled rich in meaning. They, they expand every time you look at one of them and see what they mean, see in the Greek or the Hebrew. They just expand our knowledge and hopefully our experience of how we are encountering God. And yet Jesus reveals a name in the New Testament that we would think would bring joy, satisfaction, and freedom to so many people. And yet the Pharisees were offended at this. See, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even dare speak the full name of God. So they used all of these other uh, names to not just speak his name. And now Jesus comes on the scene and how he introduces God, not God Almighty, not the I am, not the self-existent, not the eternal, not all of these things. What he teaches us is to interact with God as Father. It's pretty amazing if you actually watch this transition happen from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, in the book of John alone, Jesus uses the word Father 156 times in at least one of the translations. He also uses another word that you'll see just a few times in the New Testament by Jesus and Paul, and the word is Abba. That word Abba is an Aramaic term. It's an affectionate term for father in which we would call daddy or dad. So that's why when you see it in scripture, they're not saying father, father. The Aram- when it says Abba, father in scripture, it's like saying daddy, father. It's showing the one who is Uh, who is the leader in your life, who is the protector, who is the provider, but also that affectionate one, that one that is close to you, ever-present, compassionate, caring, patient. All of those elements are wrapped up into this image of Abba, Father. So when Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew chapter six, starting at verse nine, says, this then is how you should pray. He doesn't say our eternal, everlasting, self-existent I am even though that is him. He doesn't say our righteous judge, even though he is. He could have used any of the other 949 names found in scripture. And yet Jesus taught us to pray our father. And you see just that one word, our, I'm not gonna preach on it right now, but that one word proves that our walk with Jesus is not supposed to be a Lone Ranger walk. The God God of the Old Testament was the God of Israel, the nation Israel. He was a God of a people group and he still is today. So he's calling his children to come to him. So we don't walk this thing alone. We don't try to just figure it out alone. He's saying, our father in community, we pray now. So he's saying, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now he's saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this moment, we are not approaching God with thoughts. In the, a lot of times in the Old Testament, they would say, well, this is holiness versus unworthiness or worthiness versus unworthiness. Holiness versus sinfulness. But we're saying, I'm beckoning the one, the lover of my soul to come. 
And when we look at these scriptures and we're saying our father, we're not, we're not saying he, he stops being all of these other areas. Do you see that? Because you're saying our father, hallowed be your name. So you're saying our God is the holy one. And our God who is the holy one is the king of his own kingdom. And our God or our father who is the holy one who's also the king has a specific will to be done on this earth, through us, as it is in heaven. So now we're realizing just through this prayer alone that there's a partnership that's taking place. So our father's the king, he's the holy one, he's the God, he's the self-existent I am, and yet somehow he wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's using us to do that. So he must love us and trust us enough to actually use us to advance his kingdom. Now we look at the rest of these verses, which we're not going to take a look at today, but it's ones of provision. It's ones of defeating the enemy and temptation as it's coming. It's ones of offering forgiveness to other people. So these are prayers. These are all elements of a prayer of something that we have to trust the one that we're praying to. So he's showing here, he's not, some, he's not some distant God. He's not some unattached, uninterested God. He's our father. And we talk about it, we read through it so much, and sometimes we just don't slow down to realize, wait a minute. I said it many times here, because it's still amazing to me. The king of all the universe. Like, he could do that, and we would be expelled, done the creator of the entire universe, the final judge, the king of all kings, is your dad. That doesn't lower him in standard. In fact, for me, you know, some people think, well, we can't approach him haphazardly. I'm not. I'm really realizing just how massive he is. If he's all-knowing and all-present, then he's seen all my mistakes, even more than my kids have. He's seen all of my mistakes. Yet he still chooses to be not just my father, but my Abba, my dad. He chooses to be the affectionate one, even though we fail him. That's quite amazing to me. We have the, no, no other false religion out there is even close to this. We have the privilege of calling the God of the universe our Father. That's a good deal right there, huh? Paul uses the same term, Abba. Actually, I didn't read it from Jesus' perspective yet, but Paul uses the term Abba in Romans uh, chapter 8, starting at verse 14. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Can you say children of God? So those of us who are led by the Spirit of God, the only way to be truly led by the Spirit of God is to have the Spirit within us. You following me? So if the Spirit is in you, that means you're born again. That means you have entered into his kingdom. That means you're saved. You're on your way to heaven, but heaven's also come into you through the Spirit of God. So if you're being led by the Spirit of God, then you don't just, like, it's not just some of you. It's not just if you've done good enough. It's not like you've put in your, your years and now you're tenured, so you, now you're in. It's not if you have a certain height, certain ethnicity. If you're being led by the Spirit of God because he's living within you, that means you are a child 
of God. It's that simple. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And he goes on to say, the Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, affectionate one, the one who is in charge of my life. Draw these phrases out when you're reading them. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Say, God's children. Now, if we are his children, say children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, I believe one of the areas that we have, one of the areas that, that distorts our view of us being his child is unforgiveness. It's when we take something that our earthly father has done or if we take something that another, I mean, it could be a woman has done in your life too, but a lot of times it is a male role model in your life. You take a mistake that he's made, the enemy begins to distort how you're looking at God. And then before that, or as that goes on, you don't just have a distorted view of God the Father, you actually have a distorted view of yourself. Because now you're believing, well, if he's mean like him, or if he does this like this guy, then I'm not even sure if I want to be this, and I don't know, I don't even feel like I am this guy's child. And it's unforgiveness. So what happens is when we're holding on to unforgiveness toward anybody, this would apply to anything specifically for this illustration, if it is something that a male role model, a father, whatever, grandfather has done to you, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, then what you do is you stay seated in the judge, on the judge's bench and you don't let God the Father be the judge because you're saying in your heart, I want that person punished for what they've done. So because of that, you're saying, I'm going to sit here as judge because in my heart, I've already cast judgment on them. And I'm going to stay bitter. I'm going to stay angry. I'm going to stay unforgiving. Probably be moody most of the time until this person gets what they deserve. Not realizing that you sitting up here is actually, it's, it's, it's withholding God's ability to be your father and to be the judge in that person's life. So scripture says that he is the one who will allow revenge to happen. He is the one who will judge. He is the one who will bring about redemption. Then what we need to do is say, I'm not doing a very good job on this judge's bench. So I'm gonna let that person be, no matter how bad they've hurt me. I'm gonna offer forgiveness in my heart. I'm gonna step off the judge's bench. I'm gonna let God go back where he rightfully deserves. I'm gonna let God judge that person how he needs to, which of course would be through love. And now I'm going to let God be also my judge and also my father once again. I'm gonna let him parent me the way he should be parenting me. So you let him be the judge. You let him be the self-existent I am. You let him be the eternal God. And you also let him be your father through forgiveness and through walking in peace. He's waiting to be that good father. So in verse 15, I've already read it. It says, the spirit you've received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership in this case. So we are no longer slaves to fear because why? The Holy Spirit ushered us into this adoption process as we became children of God. I've mentioned this before. I've been able to watch, I've been present for two adoption cases in the court, courtroom. 
And I forgot some of the, the questions that they've asked and some of the statements they've made. But sitting there and listening to the judge make a statement like this. So you do realize after these documents are signed, that these children will become yours as if they were naturally born to you. You do realize that this child now has full rights and privileges to all of the resources that you have, all of the care, the time that you have, including your inheritance. They're saying these things. I'm like, this is powerful. This will preach. I mean, this is, just, this is, like, this is how Pennsylvania judges interact with parents as they're about to adopt them. And then they state, you are aware that these children will receive a brand new birth certificate with your name being uh, bearing on it. I'm thinking to myself, wow, like it erases everything from their past and brings forth the future that God has for these children as they're being adopted. And now I think about this verse here. The spirit of God brings about adoption into our lives. Meaning that our old, like the birth certificate that we have, not our natural one, but the one that said, we're a sinner, we're a loser, we're on our way to hell, we're worthless. All that stuff is erased. And we get a brand new birth certificate that says God's child, God's son, God's, dad, God's daughter, God, daddy. Like think about the power behind that. We've been adopted into his family. It's amazing. Now, it's also by the same exact spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, you see there, it's a capital S, is who's bringing you into that sonship through adoption. And it's by this same spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. It says this spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if you see a theme here, Jesus did not say, Hey, disciples, I'm going to call out to my father. You just wait here and see what your God is saying. He invited us into a process of calling out our father, which means we're not separated. He's not distant or uninterested, like I said before. Now, in the same way, Paul's saying, it's not saying that the Holy Spirit's crying out, Abba, Father, though he does cry out with groans, it says in other areas of scripture that we don't understand. But here it's, it's by the enablement of the Holy Spirit that we are able to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, we need you. It's in those most intimate times, those most transparent times that we can have with our Father. Hallowed be his name. Still holy, still our Father. We look at this too. It says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now again, here, it's the Holy Spirit. You see the capital S in verse 16, if it's on the screen, the capital S, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. The second spirit is lowercase s. Do you see that? So it's the Holy Spirit testifying with our human spirit that we are God's children. Now the Holy Spirit could testify with our human spirit. Any other attribute of God, anything that he wants to, because he guides us into all truth. But here, his main concern, his main goal is to teach us, train us, tell us, hey, you are now God's child. You've been adopted into his kingdom. You have been accepted by the heavenly father. It's a reality we have to take time to understand. In this context, it could have been righteous judge, prince of peace, alpha and omega, Lord, provider, healer. 
But Holy Spirit helps us say, Abba, Father. Maybe you've never done that before. Adam, you can come up. Maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you've never uh, just sat before God in his presence and say, I love you, Dad. Maybe you'd say, well, I, I feel like that's, that's just, you know, disrespectful. Look up the word Abba. Look up the depth of what that means and the intimacy of what that means. Look up how many times Jesus called God his Father and how he taught us how to interact with his Father. And I think what we'll begin to do is this. We'll begin to appreciate our earthly fathers for who they were or who they are, right? Even if they're not, listen to me, even if they're not walking with the Lord, I believe that our Father, our Heavenly Father can show us glimpses of the heart of the man who he wanted to be. See, God sees our hearts. He's the true and perfect Father. So he sees our hearts and he knows where we're hurting. He knows where we didn't have a chance to be better for these reasons or because of life experiences or whatever. And he sees the depth of our pain. What we do is we look at external behavior and we say, that person's a bad person. No, probably not. Probably not. Probably deep within the abuse that they may have faced, they're probably a very soft and loving person. Unfortunately, the enemy had their way with them. And again, you might have a great relationship with your father. And that's awesome. That's good. I had some of my most, my most I don't know if that's gonna come out grammatically correct. Some of the deepest conversations about the Lord with my father late into the night, just talking about everything from creation all the way to the crazy stuff in Revelation. I remember sitting at the, the edge of the couch just talking to him and looking at things and looking at scriptures. So this is, again, this isn't demeaning of fathers. This is saying, I'm going to honor my father for who he was or for who I believe God could have worked through him if situations were different in life. And I'm going to relieve him, formally relieve him of having that weight on him of being the lens in which I see God. I believe you could do that if he already passed away too because it's a position of your heart. You could say, I have a great relationship with my dad. He's awesome. I'm still relieving him from the weight of being the lenses in which I see God because he's not God. God made him my earthly father. Or if it's an uncle or grandfather, whoever, whoever helped raise you. And then we can say, I, God, I want to begin to embrace you and receive you as the perfect standard of fatherhood. So show me that. So I'm sure there's a lot more things in these six items, but I feel like the Lord wants me to share these specific things with you today of what the perfect heavenly father looks like and gives to us as children. The first thing is this, unconditional love. God does not look at your behavior and then fluctuate his level of love for you. Like, oh, you were really bad today, so I'm gonna back this off a little bit. No, he already sent his son, Jesus. Jesus already lived a perfect life. He already shed his blood. He already went into the grave and he's already been resurrected. So God has done everything he needs to to demonstrate his unconditional love for you. You could run from him, rebel against him. Yes, you will face consequences, but that does not change the condition of the love that God has for you. So our perfect father gives us unconditional love, something that every one of us would yearn for in the depths of our heart. Secondly, is he gives us acceptance. You know, as children, and that could be of any age, 
we need acceptance. We need to know that we're not just loved, but we're accepted. Unfortunately, some of you in this room as, as children maybe didn't receive acceptance. Maybe you felt like you were left out. Maybe you felt like you weren't welcome at family events. Maybe you were actually weren't even invited to some of them. Maybe you felt like you were the odd one out. But God accepts us just the way we are. That's why scripture said that while we were still sinners, God came or Jesus came to die for us. Like he didn't wait for us to clean, he didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He's like, okay, they're pretty bad right now. Let's go now. Let's go now. While we're walking in our sin, he came and died for us. So there's a realization that the Father accepts you just the way you are. And because he accepts you, he's not gonna be absent. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to not be there when you need him the most. He's going to allow protection and provision to happen in your life because he accepts you. Third is enjoyment. We show, remember when we did a series, if you've been with us for a few years, we did a series on joy and we put a picture, we put all of like the stern faced, serious, almost like depressed looking Jesuses that people paint. And then we put this joy filled, big smile. He's just like laughing his head off, picture of Jesus. And people admitted it was hard to look at because we look at God as this long bearded, very serious one. But then scripture says the joy of our Lord is our strength. So God enjoys you. I've said it many times before. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. Right? Some of you might think like, okay, my parents have to love me, but I'm not sure they like me. <laughs> but God loves you and he likes you. God enjoys you. God like loves to spend time with you. And he gets enjoyment from you. He doesn't just tolerate you. The fourth item is patience. I would say that's one thing that probably all of us dads have failed at before. It's just a lack of patience or getting frustrated. God is the, God our Father is the most long suffering and patient image that we will ever be able to see. It's all throughout scripture. So he disciplines us. He rebukes us when necessary, but it's never flippant. God doesn't ever lose his temper. He doesn't just throw down in a moment. He is patient with us as his love and his acceptance and his enjoyment flows through us. Fifth is we receive an inheritance of blessing. It was one of the last scriptures that I read here in Romans 8, 17. It says, if we are his children, then we are his heirs. Heirs means beneficiary of what he has. So we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Well, we're a child of God and now we're one with Christ. So we are receiving the inheritance. If this makes sense, what God owns is now ours. I call it a spiritual bank account in which we make withdrawals by faith. So it's, it's accessible to us right now. Yes, we will face perfection. We'll experience perfection in the end of time. But even now we have access to the inheritance that only the children of God have. And lastly, just for today, I'm sure we can go on and on and on, is that God our Father provides perfect leadership for us. Perfect leadership. I know I don't always provide perfect leadership for my parents or for my, for my children, but I'm in process, right men? We're in process. God's not in process. He's already there. He's already perfect. He's already holy. He's already pure. So he provides at any, any state of life, 
He will provide the best, most perfect direction, counsel, wisdom, guidance in anything we need. And I don't believe until you learn how to embrace him as father and as daddy will we actually come to him with the most intimate things of our life. Like, you know those thoughts that no Christian likes to admit they have about somebody that might get on their nerves? My pastor's saying this, yeah. Do you know those thoughts? None of you are like, nobody's like, I do, but I don't wanna shake my head in church. For the four of us in this room that sometimes have thoughts that we wish we didn't have, do you know that there's a release in your heart when you go to Father and tell him those things? You could say, no way, I'm not going to God with those things. I'm embarrassed about them. No, he's the only one that can fix those things. He's the one that can bring more purity into our life so we can continue to renew our minds. So we can go to the Father and say, God, Father, Daddy, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I've been thinking this and this and this. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. And we can begin to actually have dialogue with him until we get to a place of strength and boldness to walk out our lives that he has for us. Do you know Jesus did this? At his most vulnerable moment, Jesus did this. In Mark 14, this is before he's arrested. This is in the garden. He's going a little bit further out and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. This is your savior talking. He's in the most vulnerable position now. He's about to be arrested, beaten, and crucified. And he's actually saying, like he's actually bothered by what is about to happen. He's saying, could this possibly pass by? And who does he call out to? Ever-existent God, the I am, the great one, the eternal judge. Who does Jesus on his knees cry out to in his greatest time of need? Not just Father, but Abba, Father. He's saying, Daddy, listen, everything is possible with you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. So he's able to come to him and actually bear his heart and say, you know what, Dad? I'm thinking I, I might not want to go through this. Like, this is going to be pretty intense. And yet, because he knows who his daddy is, he knows that everything's possible. Now, you might read that as everything's possible, so God, it's possible for God to take it from him. I read that as everything's possible, so Jesus is going to make it through this thing. He's actually going to be able to have the endurance to make it through. So everything's possible with your Father and your Heavenly Father. It's the honesty that we can have. So maybe you need something on this list for your life. Maybe you need better leadership and you're not demeaning your father if you're asking God the Father for better leadership. Maybe you need to experience that unconditional love, that acceptance, that enjoyment, that patience. Maybe you need to take a step of faith and say, you know what? All this stuff in the Bible is mine as a child of God? Like I truly do have an inheritance from God. I wanna receive some of that by faith today. I want you guys to stand at this time. Adam's just gonna continue to play and we're gonna just take these next few moments. For those of you who wanna step out in faith to do one of two things or both. Number one is to formally relieve your earthly father from the weight of being the lens in which you see God. Number two is to receive God the Father as the perfect standard of fatherhood. So Father, we just pray even right now in these moments that your Holy Spirit would move. God, that you would bring healing to hearts. 
And God, even if people come forward just to thank you for their earthly father, but to still put you at the standard of true fatherhood, we just pray, God, that you would move. Let there be a release in our hearts, a release in our minds, and a release in our spirits as we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen? Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.